Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about bond yields, mortgage rates, and what could make the Fed change its position. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM. Melinda, what resources does UWM have available for people who are looking to join the Wholesale Channel? We have a lot of great resources that are available. In fact, we have a, a large size team solely dedicated to getting mortgage brokers into the industry. So whether it's starting your own brokerage, joining an existing brokerage, converting from a retail loan officer over to a wholesale loan officer, we have a whole host of things available. Um, there's a, We have teams that are dedicated to support even afterwards that will help with things like compliance and licensing, all that fun stuff, as well as marketing strategies and helping brokers with training. So we are really, really really well-versed on uh, getting people into the wholesale channel and a great place to start. And we have a great website, beingmortgagebroker.com with a lot of information on how to get started. So many options. Thanks, Melinda. And listeners, find out more, as she said, at beamortgagebroker.com. Logan, welcome to the podcast. Sarah Wheeler, I had to do a Joker facial um, video about how crazy the week has gone. It's Wednesday morning, and you know about last night. You know the ten-year yield almost got to four point nine zero percent, and then fell all the way down to four point seven two after the weaker ADP number, and it's back up again. So bond yields gone wild. Fall edition is going to be the greatest CD ever. If people still use CDs, or you could just stream it because it's been pretty crazy. Uh, since the Fed meeting ended. Okay, so here's the question. Is the bond market going to force the Fed to pivot? <sighs> See, I'm not a Fed pivot guy because I don't believe they pivot until the labor market breaks. But even someone like me understands that when bond yields w- – w- when the Fed talked about, well, we're in restrictive policy already at four to four to quarter on the 10-year. Okay, so – you know, in in that context, um, we could cut rates next year if if uh, if the growth rate of inflation falls because you know you get more restrictive by the growth rate of inflation falling. This is different, and part of me thinks, you know, why would they risk a very hawkish forward guidance this late in the game? And, and I, my belief is, and I've stuck to this, that they want a job loss recession. They just have to skirt around it, uh, talk about a soft, soft landing. But I think people forget they went into this thinking 2023, we're going to, uh, the unemployment rates are going to rise. So uh, the growth rate of inflation falling on them was probably a surprise to a degree, but also the economy being as resilient uh, as it is. So there was no point into having a hawkish tone this late in the game unless you want uh, a, a job loss recession or you have no kind of sense where the bond yields and technical trading and short the market. I mean, there is a lot of things that you don't, you don't play with fire this late in the game. So I, I'm just going to stick to my core belief. 
they don't pivot until jobless claims break. I know the ADP number was was soft today, but I think there, there's a difference between the labor market breaking and job growth slowing. I think a lot of people, I see a lot of people just make up stuff on social media on how bad the labor market is by using pretty much lying tactics. What I can tell you all is that after World War II, there has been one data line that has always showed us when the labor market is breaking. That's jobless claims breaking out. And jobless claims has gotten better. I mean, it's gotten noticeably better the last few months. Job openings data, we wrote about this yesterday. Um, the headline was a huge surprise. It looks like a big job uh, uh, increase in job openings. But to me, it's the, the volatility in the data line. The quits ratios is back to pre-pandemic levels. That's what the Fed likes to see. And if you look at other job openings data, like Indeed has a good one, it, it actually went lower. So I wouldn't put too much stock in the headline job openings data. The quit ratios getting back is what the Fed likes. So everything is kind of moving to a labor market that is creating more supply and wage growth slowing down. But they they didn't need to do the forward guidance. And I'm just, if I look at it as they want the job loss recession, then it makes sense. But now you have all these Fed people talking about, hey, hey, wait a second, wait a second. You know, we, we're not going to raise rates. We're not. And then uh, Treasury, Treasury Secretary Yellen comes out, hey, listen, higher for longer is not a given. They're trying to like talk things back. And I know uh, Nick Tamiris from the Wall Street Journal is kind of the Fed leaking uh, 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 information. And, he, you know, the, he just came out this morning and said, hey, wait a second, you know, the it's really getting restrictive out here. And there's a, uh, a, a financial stability scare right now with the bond yields going up. So I'm assuming that the last few days got their attention. But until I actually see anything from them to saying, okay, we messed up. We, we, we're, we're not going to let, you know, long end of the markets get out of hand. We will come into the market. We'll do, they, they can, they can fix this like this. They can just, they could change the entire narrative, but they choose not to. So follow their actions. And I was kind of like mock them. They, some people say this, some people say nothing matters anymore to the bond traders right now until you actually see conviction. And I think that that's the story of the last few days. We broke key technical levels. The bond market was heavily shorted. Uh, huge volume, highest volume ever. Uh, so you, this traditionally happens when we're at a top, a short-term top at least. And then the next move is noticeably lower. But you know, there is there is nothing from the Fed that I've seen except you know very weak you know, talking points, hey, you know, we might be done. And it's like, nobody cares anymore. Uh, and especially, I think, being that hawkish in the forward guidance, if they wanted a soft landing, that doesn't do them any favors at this point, which I've always questioned the soft landing premise by them. And again, everybody has their own version of what a soft landing is. It's hard to know if that's what they want, or they're just not able to figure out how to talk about it in, in a way that that makes sense because to your point, it's like it, they were, we were on a path. Um, you know, was it a, a good path for the housing market? Absolutely not. I mean, they don't care. And you've, you've made this point. They've broken the housing market. And from their perspective, that's what they have to do to get back to where they want to be on inflation. But since then, since, you know, that talking point about with their forward guidance, it's like, it just feels like such a misstep. Like, like pick a lane. It's a misstep unless you believe they want a recession. 
Because, you know, when I went on CNBC last week and um, I said, listen, the bond yields are rising. This is not good for uh, the housing market, of course, especially now with rates going up higher and higher. And I said, one of the things I told them is that, listen, the Fed is frustrated. You're still working. You're still buying homes. You're still buying cars. Car sales were up double digits year over year. Stop it. Right? So what can they do? Because they want to attack the service worker and the service worker are, aren't, aren't getting hit and their wages are increasing. So construction employment, right? Every, every cycle has construction employment break. Construction employment hasn't broken. You know, there's a lot of government spending for, for manufacturing and the builders are paying down rates. So maybe this is, this is the game plan. Maybe they they said, "Listen, we just have to we have to break the back of the housing market and the the apartment boom, crush that, crush the single family, and get some kind of increase in the unemployment rate from construction workers to offset the deficit spending." It just if if I look at it in that light, it somewhat makes sense. But to me, it's like they talked about, "Hey, listen, we're pretty restrictive now. We might cut rates," and then the forward guidance was completely against that. So this is on them, right? This is all on them. And a lot of market players are kind of like, you know, for the for one of the rare times, they kind of all, okay, you know what? That forward guidance, the timing of that was not not the best. But again, I'm just sticking to the original premise. They wanted a job loss recession. They ran 1970 models. So here we are with this volatility, crazy volatility right now. And this is very late in the game. It's one thing if the if it was the ten year yield was at three point three seven and the Gandalf line was bouncing off and we go up and or we already had that happen once. But at this point, it's just you know putting more fuel to the fire. Um, and they haven't done anything so far this week. And we still have jobless claims. You know, by the time this podcast comes out, jobless claims will be out, and then we have jobs Friday. Um, but. You know, it's it it's a little bit puzzling when two weeks they say, okay, we you know we just want to we we want a soft landing, and then it's like, no, we don't want a soft landing. So uh, in that context, I think I think bond traders were correct in shorting the ten year yield after that four point three four level broke, and here we go, um, and the volatility is here, uh, and until you see a very firm response by the Fed. Um, don't look for a pivot for them. Okay. They they can change this like this anytime they want. They choose not to, right? They're, it's their choice. So they, they have the tools necessary. They haven't done so. So follow their actions. Their words are cheap. I mean, just cheaper than anything you could buy on Amazon Prime and the cheapest thing ever. Okay. So they're it's poison at this sense, you know. So actions speak louder than words. Follow that. So let's talk about that uh, short-term top you talked about for uh, bond yields and and what you see there because you know I mean people are people are struggling out there already. So seeing the rates go so high, what was it seven point seven something yesterday on uh, Tuesday? You, you know, so the so we look at intraday's and we we got like a four point eight seven percent last night. Last night, yeah, I'm spending my nights on the ten year yield. Okay, that's pretty much this is what I'm doing lately. Okay, and. Uh, uh, Usually what you what you see is you see a big intraday move and then you know the follow through is to the downside. So as of right now, um, I haven't seen the big reversal. Friday will be a good test uh, or the next two days, uh, Thursday and Friday will be a good test on this. And then let, let's see how the week closes. But this is just, 
this is this is hell week, right? This is Freddy Krueger. This is Jason. This is Michael Myers. This is everyone stuck in a and you know a clown uh, maze out there. It's it was it was pretty bloody. Um, so I, I I need to see follow through action because to me I'm I'm still worried about the dollar getting super strong. Right, uh, my Halloween costume is going to be the dollar if it gets to one fifteen. So the dollar getting stronger can create havoc around the world. The Bank of Japan had to do intervention. We saw that last year. So there's some similarities to what we're seeing now, pretty much like last year. When last year, when the IMF said stop raising rates, we're going to send Ethan Hutt to come take the Fed out, and then there's the uh, um, London was going to lose all its pension funds. So we haven't had multiple uh, global events like that yet. But the Bank of Japan had to intervene. And it's just like these things we've seen before. So we could be in the starting process of something like that. That's why you got to track this stuff daily. That's why you got to be up at like 1130 at night looking at the 10-year yield like some loser. And uh, (laughs) that's what we do here. Keep everyone informed. We appreciate it that you do that for us, Logan. Uh, I'm not up at uh, 11 looking at the 10-year yield. So I guess my question to you is like if – because when I went back, you wrote a, a great article on this is like, you know, why are, why are mortgage rates surging right now? And also looking at like the similarities to, from this time last year to now, is there something about the seasonality of the fall about September or early October that, that makes this more normal? No, I mean, to me, the dollar broke underneath a hundred. And um, I would say this, what, what do we know about this quarter? The economy is growing good. And jobless claims have been falling. So again, I'm a jobless claims guy first. And literally, I, 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 this is one of the reasons why I show those jobless claims. The jobless claims data is getting better in that the Fed doesn't want that. You know, So for a while there, the jobless claims were, they had a nice little uptrend going up there. Job openings were falling. The Fed even said, they even talked about this at the, at the, at the meeting. Hey, we're, we're happy about the labor data now. It's getting weaker. But it's that pet. Pexy job jobless claims data that they just go whoa. So the economy is performing is outperforming estimates. Okay, and then the dollar is getting stronger, and the Fed got hawkish. And then other countries, you know, are stopping their rate hikes. Some have cut. When you cut your rates against the U.S., while they're still, you know, your currencies could get in trouble. And um, it's it's just last year. Last year we had all this. I mean, last year was complete chaos because the 10-year yield just shot up and mortgage rates shot up and everything was, nobody knew really what was going on and what was going to happen. But inflation back then was running at 8 to 9% headline CPI. Now, inflation, the growth rate, everything is is cooling down. So it's a, it's a different backdrop. But I think if the economic data wasn't as firm as it was in this quarter and we're going to we're going to see the hit come in with multiple variable factors student loan all this stuff is going to happen later on uh government shutdown all these things will 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 impact the fourth quarter but for this boy you know the US is just outperforming the world and when we're not cutting rates and other countries have to deal with it then uh the dollar could get stronger and the dollar getting too strong is just havoc right it just caused too much trouble around the world and we saw that with the bank of japan doing an intervention yesterday. So when you say that the Federal Reserve could change this in an instant, remind us, what does that mean? What could they do that would change this right now? Three different things. Right now, we are done with quantitative tightening. That's it, right? We are going to actively support the bond market. It's all over. You don't have to cut rates. You do not have to cut rates. If they wanted to, they could say that. 
and then they don't have to worry about a lot of things, they choose not to, right? And so one of the things is that higher for longer, if they want to stay higher for longer, you have to keep everything intact because if the if the economy starts to break, the bond market will get ahead of them. Um, but here, they, they can they can easily do that. Uh, they choose not to. So that's that's by their own choice. So that's why I always say that I, I, I'm not a Fed pivot person. God, the people I'm with, the, the, usually the people who don't want the Fed to pivot are usually the crazy people on in, in the world who just want everything to blow up, right? Um, so I'm, I'm with a weird group of people. But my case is that they targeted the labor market from day one. They told us this, and I'm just going with that until it changes. So uh, the fact that they're trying to like... Janet Yellen's like, hey, higher for longer doesn't mean forever or what? Just really, come on, get away, go. You know, um, you you need to put a little bit more teeth into it. Uh, but I, I I'm pretty sure after what I've seen some some of the Fed members and, and Yellen talk that it's gotten their attention. And today, the Wall Street Journal came out and uh, discussed that. Um, uh, that hey, listen, this this might uh, this might break the Fed's soft landing premise. So, for whatever that's worth, usually Nick leaks it out. So you said there are three things they could do immediately. Um, I think you've only said one. Oh well, the third one would be cutting rates. I, I don't think they they could they would do that. Um, I think cutting cutting rates for them. You know, the, if the ten year yield let's let, let me let me give you a hypothetical. The ten year yield goes to five point six five percent. And the growth rate of inflation is is running below three percent. They would cut rates there because it's too restrictive. Uh, it's too restrictive now. So something like that. But uh, I just don't see. I don't see them pulling that lever until they need to. Uh, and they talked about next year. Next year we could cut rates, but that was more just like one or two cuts, just getting things back to somewhat order. But if the ten year yield like broke off even more, then. It, what they've told us that you know they they don't want to get too restrictive. So it's it's the irony is that for like weeks before the Fed meetings, they were kind of leading us up for rate cuts, and then the forward guidance was like, no, you get nothing, sir. Goodbye, you know. So uh, and the market went with it. So give give the bond traders this. You know they they took that those key technical levels and they ran it and they pushed it. And uh, Sarah, what is the Fed? The Fed is old and slow. I'm I'm afraid it is old yes. and slow. And, and and they and they know that. So uh, go for it, right? And so we got a lot of volume in the bond trading right now. This is Sarah Wheeler, editor in chief at Housing Wire, with Ryan Marshall, CEO and founder of Equity Protect, to talk about a very specific and growing kind of fraud risk. Ryan, how does Equity Protect prevent deed fraud from occurring? So we've successfully devised a range of methods that harmonize the elements that exist. So certain laws, certain constraints, and customary policies that occur within title companies and the recorder's offices. Our approach combines a multi-factor authentication, very similar to one that you would find if you're logging in and out of your bank account an authenticated transaction hyperledger layer and a newly crafted and copyrighted property notice form that we serve as a public security lien. So in essence, our service parallels similar to a credit lock that you would find with your credit bureau. Property owners retain absolute control and they alone are the only authority that can unlock or lock their property to any subsequent transactions. Ryan, thanks for letting us know about that. Listeners, you can find out more information about deed fraud and how to prevent it at equityprotect.com. 
All right. Well, let's talk about another huge factor that is influencing the housing market right now, and that's inventory, right? It's not just rates, although rates is the number one thing. I would say second is inventory. Sarah, I am batting still a big whopping donut hole. Zero. You know, when we do our weekly tracker and we show these active listings growth, you know, uh, I, I try to model a lot where I think active listings growth should be with higher rates. And I'd anticipated, God, now can active listings grow to eleven to 17,000? And it, it not only did it not grow this last week, it went lower. So may, maybe the seasonality factor kicks in, but uh, still still haven't seen my eleven to 17,000 uh, weekly print. Uh, it's just been a very slow year. Um, and new listings data is the one data line that, you know, would concern me with higher rates because, you know, last year we saw the negative year over year print. So we're, we've been trending negative year over year for over 13 months. By the way, to all the Airbnb bus people, we kept on saying that inventory is going to skyrocket because everybody will sell their Airbnbs. Not yet, right? And usually that goes from short-term rentals to long-term rentals first. So new listings data, even though it declined, even though it's negative year over year and it's been trending negative year over year for over 13 months, we haven't seen a noticeable new leg lower. That is That is very key. I'm like hoping that we just find that bottom in the new listings data and we we get we get some growth next year but we're still not seeing kind of the flat to positive data line that I was kind of looking for in the second half of the year uh and we'll see uh after a wild week like this uh you get to test it so we'll do this again and see if we can get active listings growth to 11 to 17,000 but so far that hasn't worked but the on the positive side new listings data hasn't taken a new new leg lower like it did last year uh, and again the last 3 years have been trending at the lowest levels ever recorded history even when we had 3% mortgage rates it was the same thing even when uh we have the 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 ability to grow uh inventory in that front has been somewhat challenging and a lot of this has to do with a lot of people are just doing really well they don't move as much 30 year fixed products you know even the people who don't have mortgages who have so much equity they're not selling their homes moving so this has been here for over over 10 years so it's just when housing costs get so much so fast uh some people just simply can't afford to move and it just doesn't make sense for a lot of households this is why I, you know, when I went out to CNBC that one time a few weeks ago, I said that the Fed's policy on housing is like a COVID-19 stay at home. Uh, uh, they, they're not really looking for you to list your house, right? So uh, if that was the case, hopefully, I know I know they were confused by that. They're like, I don't know why people won't list their homes. McFly, hello. But uh, in this case, um, uh, we haven't seen a new leg lower, which isn't saying too much because we're working from the lowest levels ever recorded in history. I think it's just a double whammy of, you know, normally when you have mortgage rates going higher, you've got home prices coming down, but you just have so little inventory that that home prices are not coming down appreciably, not like you would expect with, you know, rates over 7.5. You know, it, the, the interesting aspect about that conversation is that naturally everyone assumes as rates go up higher, home prices have to fall. 2013 to 14, when that happened, the growth rate fell first, but we didn't have a negative year. 2018 and 19, the growth rate fell. We didn't have a negative what year. What do you mean the growth, rate, the growth rate of what fell? You know, like if you're growing at 9% early in the year- For home prices? Mortgage rates go up high. Yeah, yeah. You, you Mortgage rates go up higher. 
that 9% growth trend comes down to 4%, right? So that we had that. And here again, the biggest mortgage increase ever recorded in history, the second half of 2022 actually did have for the first time, like real nominal month to month price declines. But when housing data stabilized, then that kind of went away. There's, of course, there's there's many cities that are still nowhere close to the all time highs yet, and they're still dealing with uh, pricing issues. But as as a country, you need weakness in demand, and you need duration, and you need inventory to really increase. And so last year was this crazy once in a lifetime event, and uh, uh, with higher rates, the growth rate of pricing should fall. And you, and that's one of the reasons why in the weekly tracker. We like to show the uh, percentage of price cuts. Uh, and last year, uh, at this time, we we're over 40%. We're, f- we're still about 4% below what we were last year. So the pricing mechanisms are getting weaker, but they're not like we were last year. So hopefully that explains why pricing is a little bit more firmer this year. And again, the growth rate of inventory, we're still working on negative year-over-year inventory data and new listings data is trending. So it's this is just a pure supply story. Uh, uh, and it's it's just weird because what we saw in 2005 to 2008, we saw this, it took three years for this huge housing demand collapse, but we, the inventory spiked from 2005 to 2007, right? So the if we were taking the NAR data, the active inventory in 2005 was 2.5 million. We take the NAR data today, it's 1.1 million. Uh, 2007, it was uh, 4 million. 2023, it's 1.1 million. 2005, six, seven, and eight, we saw foreclosures, bankruptcy, all this thing was happening for you. And then the job loss recession happened. Today, we got this little small bounce on the foreclosure data because we're reopening the process. 30, 60, 90 day lates are all time lows right now. So it's like two, you cannot have two different housing cycles ever recorded in history. And this is why we say that the history of human civilization, the people that read, have an advantage over people that don't read. So any housing 2008 person is a person who functionally doesn't read because if anybody read or, or just visually see, you just look at it, right? Just look at the data and like, wow, that doesn't look like 2008. Yes, it does. It's 2008. Everything's 2008. So Sarah Wheeler, some people just want to ice skate uphill. Always. Doesn't matter. No, I know. So. I Listen, I just saw uh, this last weekend, I saw somebody who was like, you know what happened on October 1st in, in 2007? This is what was happening. Look at what's happening today. You know, I guess implying that we're about to head into 2008. I'm just Sarah like, Wheeler, do you know why I want to take on stock traders every single day of my life and commodity traders? <laughs> I do know. I just want to line every single one of them up piece by piece and just lay them out on, on some kind of camera. Because if I had a nickel for every October 20 or, you know, 1987 or what happened in 2000 or every, everything, for 12 years, there's the same Mickey Mouse, crybaby, whatever stuff. And it's just, you, you got to light these people up on camera so everyone gets to see like who the real ball players are. This is why I keep on challenging all of them. But um, there are some data lines that resemble uh, uh, what we saw back then. There are some data lines that are actually worse right? Uh, leading economic indicators, like my six recession red flag model flagged late 2006, that leading economic index, right? That the uh, conference board, which we we made a presentation to them last year, uh, is noticeably worse right now. But the difference now is why is the economy holding up? 
household balance sheets are much different. Why? Because the 2005 bankruptcy reform laws and the 2010 QM laws changed the structural dynamics of the U.S. economy for this century, and nobody still wants to talk about it, right? <laughs> because it's not a really fun top topic. But that's the only way I could explain to you why everything's kind of held up with inflation and with uh, uh, Fed rate hikes, because in theory, a lot of the long-term, uh, uh, majority of long-term debt on consumer balance sheets and, and corporate balance sheets are still fixed. So they they don't have the, they don't feel the full impacts yet of, of, of rate hikes. Now, if you're trying to buy something new, of course, yes. You know, if you're trying to buy a car now, yes. If you're trying to buy a home now, yes, that's different. But consumers, the consumption of goods and services that you do every single day, food, energies, those things, they're still doing that. And, and that's a testament to uh, the regulations that were passed to kind of keep things somewhat in line. Now, one thing I always try to stress to people, there is no qualified mortgage law in the auto loan industry. They purposely made sure that didn't happen, right? Because uh, they, they know they need people to get cars and drive to work. So in this case, the auto loan industry doesn't have the QM protections and you're going to see the auto loan stress data get get worse and some of the credit card data is starting to get worse. So there are some factual realities to comparing stuff to 2007 to 2008, of course. Uh, but again, each cycle is so unique. And the reason why we haven't got into a recession that a lot of people thought were happening in January of 2022, demographics are different now. Household balance sheets are different now. And the United States of America has that 30-year mortgage. Oh, that's that's our Captain American shield against the Federal Reserve, right? And uh, uh, it's helped a lot of households uh, in, in this time. It is. And I'm going to put a plug in here for um, the housing market tracker or any of your work that's on HousingWire. It's behind a paywall for a reason. Um, and one of the things that you do always is use Altos Research Data, which is updated weekly. So you don't have to wait three months to find out and that's why I feel like that tracker is so valuable to people in the industry because we're looking from the weekly inventory, price cuts, and you don't have to wait. You can see it changing in the market almost in real time. And also it goes into the bond market aspects and what economic data is coming out in the week and what can move things. But also the the, the ideal of purchase application data, which is you know today, purchase application data, the Fed's like, the housing market is recovering purchase application data is like 1995 levels. So like no doubt back then was like a top fan. Um, so when we when we think about this with the purchase application data, I think one of the more confusing things this year is that why aren't home sales crashing like they did last year with higher rates? And again, I, I try to stress this because I, I believe I'm the only person that ever talks about this because this has been a talking point for mine for many years. It's just really rare for existing home sales to get under 4 million. And the reason is that there's a certain group of buyers that we've always had, right? Uh, they typically have better financials or they also have nested equity, their cash, right? Whatever it is, it's really rare for us to get under 4 million with, with over 157 million people working, 335 million people. So because of that, that was the whole threading the needle November 9th thing. I said, God, the forward looking data looks so bad. We're going to get that 4 million. If rates fall, we could get a bounce. We got that bounce and we're going to get under 4 million home sales again, but it's just we're not getting 6.5 million home sales down to 4 million in 12 months, right? That's why I was stressed. It was the biggest home sale crash ever recorded in history. It took 12 months. 2005 to 2008 took years. We did it in 12 months. So we're just 
kind of bouncing off the bottom. And of course, the new home sales market is growing because they get to live in a mortgage world that's uh, mortgage rate world that's lower than what the existing home sales market is. So, purchase application data again it's down six percent week to week, down twenty two percent year over year. That's one of the lower uh, year over year declines. Just remember the comps are going to get so easy. October, November, December. January. I mean, these are some of the easiest year-over-year comps we'll ever have in history. And just remember, we are working from such low levels in sales that any kind of lower rate increase like we saw in November, December, and January can can boost sales up or keep things stable. And even with higher rates all year long, we still haven't broken underneath 4 million yet. Logan, thank you so much for breaking all this down for us in this crazy week where things are happening so fast. And I would tell our listeners, uh, Logan writes for us on a regular basis. And when we have a week like this, we're like, hey, can you can you address this real quick? And so um, always look on housingwire.com too for, for more in-depth analysis, but also just like more uh, breaking things. Logan, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.